All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray, and whoever God leads astray will never find guidance. I bear witness there is no God but God, alone without any partners, and I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. You who believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due, and make sure you devote yourself to God to your dying moment. Chapter 3. Verse 102. I chose the, the, I chose the topic for this khutbah today because the focus on the Qur'an has returned over and over to me throughout my life. I first began to think about this topic around 12 years old. You see, my mom really enjoyed listening to Islamic lectures on CDs while driving. I happened to be in the car and partially listening to the lecture when I realized the Imam was quoting more hadiths or references to Prophet Muhammad's life than the actual Quran. I was confused, curious, and a bit put out. I remember saying to myself in that moment, why are hadiths being used more than the actual words of God? After that realization, I started to think about the teachings I received as a child who attended Islamic school during my primary years, teachings I received from my convert mother and Syrian father. I was mad that I knew more insignificant details about women's skirt length rather than having read the entire Quran in my youth. I was angry because why did memorizing the Quran without knowing its meaning more important than actually reading the Quran and understanding it? For some chapters of the Quran that I have memorized since I was a child, I had no idea what they meant for most of my life. Why was this acceptable? I felt made to ignore God's words in favor of a record of the way it was applied, a record that was written down between one and 200 years after the fact. The proper response is not to abandon hadith, but to realize that it is the Quran that we must follow as our guide in life, and to use hadith as a helper where needed, a helper towards following the Quran. And God in the Quran reminds us whose words could be better than the words of God in chapter 4, verse 122. Those who attain to faith and do righteous deeds, God shall bring into gardens through which running waters flow, to abide beyond the count of time. This, in truth, is God's promise, and whose words could be truer than God's? God also reminds us in chapter 31, verse 27, this is my personal favorite, if all the trees on earth were pens and the sea was ink, with seven more seas added to it, the words of God would not be exhausted, for God is almighty, wise. So the Quran is like an ocean into which we plunge, but whose depths can never be reached. So how can we run out of God's words when discussing our faith? Sometime after that, I no longer felt able to relate to Islam any longer. I felt that I had no idea what was in the Quran. Um, I felt I spent most of my life learning ins insignificant details about Islam, and I just couldn't find myself within it. Then sometime later, I was searching for religious comfort, and I decided that I would read the Quran in its entirety. 
I listened to each verse, first in Arabic, then in English, translation after that, because I cannot understand Quranic Arabic. I highlighted and made notes throughout of verses that spoke to me, such as chapter 10, verse 57, humankind, there has come to you instructions from your Lord, this Quran, and healing for what is in the hearts and guidance and mercy for the believers. I eventually came to believe that Quran-focused Islam is not rule-based, but ideals-based. I began to explore the idea of my own Islam, meaning what is the Quran trying to tell me personally? How do I understand this verse, and how can I apply this verse to my life and daily practices? Because regardless of what year we are in, we can always go back to the Quran, treating it as if it was revealed right at this time as if everything it says is relevant in this moment. This means that as times change, interpretations can change because the meaning can be updated daily as new knowledge and ideas are arrive, arrive and are exposed to the Quran. For example, the Quran mentions the Big Bang theory. So in the Quran, um, it mentions that the heavens and earth were meshed together, tight and compact, aka the Big Bang, by stating in chapter 21, verse 30, are they who are bent on denying the truth not aware that the heavens and the earth were once a single entity, which God then parted asunder, and that God made out of water every living thing? Will they not then begin to believe? Then after the Big Bang, we know that the universe was primarily made of hydrogen, helium, and a little bit of lithium, which made the universe opaque or non-transparent, almost smoke-like. And God has said this in chapter 41, verse 11. And it is God who applied God's designs to the skies, which were yet but smoke. And it is God who said to them and to the earth, come into being, both of you, willingly or unwillingly, to which both responded, we do come in obedience. So in this way, the Quran does not lead to an Islam that is out of date. It leads to an Islam that is made of Quranic logic applied to the modern world. It stands up to all its challenges, rejects its falsehoods, and adopts the good in it. And in this way, Islamic thinking can change. And while always staying true and authentic to the words of God in the Quran. So after reading the Quran for the first time, I wanted to tell my I wanted to feel more in charge of my faith. I wanted to understand what my faith meant to me, and I wanted to develop my own faith practice. And I wanted this to be a Quran-led faith practice. So through the questions I was asking myself, I knew I was looking to make Islam more meaningful and personal to myself. I wanted to feel connected to God alone and not through someone else. I wanted to remove the barriers between myself and God. I was looking for the Quran's wisdom. And this is when I began exploring the idea of translating the Quran for myself. And by translating the Quran for myself, I mean creating your own version alongside the translated works you're reading, and not a word-by-word -word translation. As scholar Dr. Amina Wadud says, the process of reviewing the words and their context in order to derive an understanding of the text. And I don't pretend to call myself a scholar, Islamic teacher, or even know classical Arabic, but I didn't want that to stop me from connecting directly to the words of God. 
I can read the Quran and connect to feelings I have when I am reading the words of God. And today I wanted to share some of my own personal practices with translating the Quran for yourself. But first I want to take a step back and address what may seem like a Hadith versus Quran argument. Because a person hearing this may think that this way of thinking rejects hadith or considers it unimportant. I can continue to respect hadith and the, and the classical scholarly tradition. All I want to do is recognize the Quran's high status compared to hadith and the crucial differences between the role of hadith compared to the role of the Quran. And hadith is not a competitor to the Quran or an equal authority to it. Hadith only tells us about the Prophet's efforts in following the Qur'an's guidance. Aisha, the Prophet Muhammad's wife, was asked to describe the character of the Prophet, and her answer was his character was the Qur'an. So Islamic belief and practice is entirely about following the Qur'an. Hadith is there to help us, as a, is there to help us towards this goal. It's not there to give us new goals, to add new things to Islam, to create a companion religion to the religion of the Quran that also has to be followed. And I do want to mention uh, the importance of Quranic tafsir or commentary. This information is helpful to understand when and why a certain verse was sent down from God at that particular moment. Without this information, we may not be able to understand why God has chosen to send down this particular message. Fazlur Rahman, who I will speak about in a moment, introduces his book stating that tafsir is available for each verse of the Quran, but these are of no help to students seeking to acquaint themselves with what the Quran has to say about God, humans, or society. And I believe he's right because it gives me more of a history of a verse, but it doesn't help me to feel connected to the words of God. So now returning back to my point of how to tackle the Quran for yourself, let's first address how the Quran is structured. So the Quran has 114 chapters or surahs in Arabic, and it's not arranged chronologically or thematically. Even within individual chapters, numerous topics can be covered with sudden switches from one topic to another and then back again. And the Quran was revealed over a period of 23 years and not in sequential order. Many verses were revealed on the, on the spot as a response to unexpected questions and challenges that were brought forward to Prophet Muhammad from both believers and non-believers. And then each chapter of the Quran has a name, and the name is derived from a significant word in the chapter. Verses, or ayahs in Arabic, literally translates into signs. So by understanding how the Quran is structured, I started researching overall basic themes of the Quran. And there are many theories as to how the Quran is structured. For example, one theory focuses on the ease of memorization for people who memorize the whole Quran. There is also a ring or mirror theme where the central meaning of the text is at the center and the first half mirrors the second half. There are also uh, ethical themes based on unity of God, narratives, and legal judgments. And then there is the Mecca and Medina themes which refers to verses sent down to the prophet Muhammad while he was in Mecca or in Medina. But for today, I've chosen to focus on the themes presented by 21st century scholar Fazlur Rahman. He wrote a book titled Major Themes of the Quran. 
he was the first scholar that I encountered that attempted to create overarching themes of the Quran. And Rahman outlined seven major themes in the Quran. The first being God, second, humans, third, humans in society, the fourth one, nature, fifth, prophethood and revelation, the sixth one, end of time, and the seventh, Satan and evil. So I want to take these themes and talk about its intended meaning and apply it to Surah Al-Fatiha, or the opening, which is the first chapter of the Quran. This chapter is said to open one's hearts to faith in God and is usually to be a combination of the Quran's entire message and most important chapter of the Quran. So I'm just going to read the translation of um, Surah Al-Fatiha. In the name of God, the most gracious, the dispenser of grace. All praise is due to God alone, the sustainer of the worlds. The most gracious, the dispenser of grace, Lord of the day of judgment. Thee alone do we worship, and unto thee do we turn to for aid. Guide us the straight way. The way of those upon thou hast blessed thy blood has bestowed thy blessing, not of those who have been condemned by thee, nor of those who go astray. So the first theme is God. And the meaning of this theme applies to verses that address how everything in this life is contingent upon God, including nature. And also verses that mention God's names. And, um, and, God, is, and God is the meaning of reality. So in Surah Al-Fatiha, uh, as I just read, the entire chapter reads about God from the compassionate to the merciful to the Lord of the worlds. The second theme is humankind, and this theme is intended to mean uh, when the Quran speaks about creation and general rules for humankind and how God has given us the freedom of choice and who we are and why we are created and placed on earth. And in Surah Al-Fatiha, the fifth verse states, thee we worship and from thee we seek help. The third theme, humans in society, um, this theme means that God has given us guidance for this world, such as ethical and egalitarian approaches, um, our general goal in life, responsibilities and rights. And we can see that emphasized in the sixth verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, guide us upon the straight path. And then the next theme is nature. Um, and this has to do with science, miracles described in the Quran, and earlier I mentioned the Big Bang Theory. And in Surah Al-Fatiha, the second verse says, Lord of the worlds, indicating that God is Lord of all space and therefore all that exists, no matter what the nature of that existence may be. The fifth theme, prophethood and revelation, are stories of the prophets, revelations given to different prophets, the prophet's people, and in the case of Prophet Muhammad, the Mecca and Medina revelations. And in the sixth, the sixth verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, um, we have it reads, guide us upon the straight path, referring to the prophets and the imams that followed after Prophet Muhammad. The sixth theme, end of time, intends to mean um, day of judgment, signs of the end of time, life after death, 
heaven and hell, um, what we need to know about immortality and consequences of how we live in this world and our state after death. And um, in Surah Al-Fatiha, again, we're, um, we read the verse, the fourth verse, Master of the Day of Judgment. And then the final theme, Satan and Evil, um, refers to the story of Satan, evil in the world, temptations. And um, the last verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, the path of those whom thou hast blessed, not of those who incur wrath, nor of those who are astray. Now, of course, a verse could fall into multiple themes, uh, but while I'm reading the Quran, I like to keep these themes in mind. It helps me for, focus on the purpose of the verse, the purpose of the chapter, and what is God trying to tell me. And, and this is how I can tackle the complex and difficult Quran with very little classical Arabic understanding. And I do believe that these themes aim to guide us and reinforce that the Quran does not seek to control every aspect of our life. It gives us a set of ideals and principles and basic laws, and from there gives us the freedom to live our lives according to reason, common sense, and knowledge in, of, our, of the world. And it was by God's grace that thou, O prophet, didst deal gently with thy followers, for if thou hadst been harsh and hard of heart, they would have indeed broken away from thee. Chapter 3, 159. And while I'm advocating for taking charge of translating the Quran for yourself, I understand that a majority of the Muslim population has to rely on translation of the Quran, including myself. And no matter which translation you choose, you're ultimately reading it through someone else's filter. You are forced to read what they believe is the best understanding of that passage. People have interpreted and do interpret the Quran without an explicit or consistent methodology. And while this may seem limiting to connect directly with God, God has truly blessed some people with this knowledge and skill. So let us remember that no one scholar can ever grasp the full meaning of the Qur'an, since God is infinite and the Qur'an holds infinite meaning for all times and people of all different backgrounds and levels of knowledge. So you have the option of going through Qur'anic translations in order to get the best understanding of any particular word or passage, and these translations will give you a solid understanding of the Qur'an. So when approaching the Quran, I suggest doing research into the person who has translated the Quran from Arabic into your native language. I suggest researching their academic credentials, their objectivity, do they have any biases, does this person have confidence in their Arabic. Um, I would personally recommend Muhammad Asad's translation. Um, I also recommend reading the scholar and Islamic studies professor Dr. Ingrid Madison's book, The Story of the Quran, where she addresses the main issues with Quran interpretation and intellectual barriers to the Quran. And even if we become classical Arabic scholars, there are still mysteries to the Quran that we will never know. For example, chapter 50, Surah Al-Kaf, the first verse states, Kaf, consider the sublime Quran where the first word of this verse is the Arabic letter kaf. And scholars are still unsure about the significance of this letter. So let us remind ourselves that there will be mysteries to the Quran that we will never determine in our life. 
God is the creator of all things, including ambiguity inherent in language. God must have intended all linguistically possible meanings. And sometimes the Quran is untranslatable. We can only do our best to understand it. God reminds us of this in chapter 3, verse 3. It is God who has sent down the book to you. In it are definitive verses that are the foundation of the book, and others are ambiguous. Ultimately, we all could have all the training and knowledge in the world, but if our hearts are hardened, deaf, or blind, as the Quran refers to it, with arrogance and close to receiving God's guidance, we will never receive any guidance. Let us purify our intention and ask God for guidance while reading the Quran, as God, as God reminds us in chapter 19, verse 98. When you read the Quran, seek God's protection from Satan, the rejected one. I say what I have said, may God forgive us all. Alhamdulillah. All praises and thanks are due to God alone. Quran-focused Islam places the Quran back at the center of Islam and re-derives Islam from its principles and philosophy, leading to an extremely open-minded, spiritual, and tolerant form of Islam that thinks the best of everyone, that fits modern science, and remains fully part of mainstream Islam. My Islam is Quran-centered because for me this leads to inspiration, creativity, and the feeling of acceptance, rather than obligation, which made me feel like Islam was unattainable, I did everything wrong within Islam, and there was no room to grow as a Muslim. And my version of the Islam is what I imagine Prophet Muhammad's version of Islam was. I'm concerned with fighting injustice and tyranny, freeing people from oppression, and reconnecting with God as my guide. At the Women's Mosque of America, we focus on Quran literacy and comprehension as a form of empowerment. Let us take hold of our own faith and read the words of God directly. In the words of Dr. Ingrid Madsen, we need to live our faith in community with others so they can help illuminate our flaws and support us in our spiritual growth. But our growth will be limited unless our communities reflect the diversity of human experience. So let us focus on the chapters that we have memorized or are trying to memorize and understand their meaning. Embodiment theory facilitates a description of ongoing learning process that begins with Quranic memorization. Memorizing is the basis for recollection. It is the process of engraving the sacred verses onto the physiology of the person from childhood. Sayyid Hussein Nas et al. highlighted this point in the book, The Study Quran. Most Muslims experiencing the Quran as the oral revelation that it is, as it was experienced by many of the companions who first heard it from the mouth of the Prophet. So let us recite a section of the Quran with full awareness of it as the word of God and meditate upon it as one whose soul is being directly addressed as the Prophet's soul was addressed during its revelation. I would like to end with a Rumi poem. The interpretation of the sacred text is true if it stirs you to hope, activity, and awe. And if it makes you slack in your service, know the real, real truth to be this. It is a distortion of the sense of the saying, not a true interpretation. 
This saying has come down to inspire you to serve, that God may take the hands of those who have lost hope. Ask the meaning of the Quran from the Quran alone and from that one who has set fire to their idle fantasy and burned it away and has become a sacrifice to the Quran, bowing low in humbleness so that the Quran has become the essence of their spirit, the essential oil that has utterly devoted itself to the rose. You can smell either that oil or the rose as you please. God commands justice, doing good, and generosity towards relatives, and God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed. Quran 1690. Wa'aqim al-Salah. Perform the prayer. <laughs> 